0: Hello everyone, it's Thursday, the 23rd of February, and welcome to episode 143 of the Kite Podcast with me, Will Evans. And me, Ben
1: Eagle. Now, we've mentioned New Zealand on the show in the last few episodes, and those of you who keep an eye on the news, or indeed the weather around the world, will know why. Cyclone Gabriel has battered the island nation and been described by Prime Minister Chris Hipkins as the most significant weather event New Zealand has seen in this century. Indeed, it's only the third time in New Zealand's history that a national state of emergency has been declared. The other two were COVID and the 2019 Christchurch attacks. um, And the rebuilding cost from the damage is likely to be on par with the 2011 Christchurch earthquake. There's been significant impact on the agricultural industry, including devastation of the horticulture sector, and of course, impact on dairy. Besides the storm, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to New Zealand dairy, from how this season has gone to the Labour situation, the likely influence of new Prime Minister Hipkins, and of course, the New Zealand-UK trade deal. So to discuss all this, we are joined by James Allen, who is CEO of AgFirst, which is an agricultural consultancy business based in New Zealand. Kite director Edward Lott is with us. And as always, we're joined by everybody's favourite dairy market analyst, Chris Auckland. Chris, let's go over to you for the Milk Market Report. Where are you this week?
2: Well, I'm bringing you my report from the NFU conference, which finished yesterday. But I'm still here. Unfortunately, I was rendered unconscious by how terrible Teresa Coffey's speech was, (laughs) and I've only just come round. James, let me tell you something. You think you've got it bad in New Zealand, but that's nothing to what we're going through here, and which we heard lots about at the conference. You see, you might have had a cyclone, widespread flooding, landslides, death, alas, and destruction. But we, James, haven't got any tomatoes or lettuce, no peppers either. The shops are empty and the media are full of it. It had to take something really big to kick the stories of those awful earthquakes in Turkey and Syria, plus Ukraine one year on from the front pages. And this did it. No lettuce no tomatoes, no peppers. How can we possibly cope? So, there. Anyway, enough irrelevant babble about unavailable veg, and on to the dairy markets, where there's more than enough availability. Unfortunately for prices. Despite some people predicting that the GDT would increase on the back of New Zealand's woes and higher future prices, i.e. me, the overall index fell by 1.5%. The previous auction was up 3.2%, remember. But butter increased by nearly 4% and Arla's S&P also increased to top Fonteras for the first time in weeks, so there were a few positives. Generally speaking, traders have been at Gulf Food this week in Dubai. It's all right for some. Um, Looking, I think, for some sort of market direction, I am hearing mixed reports from there, some mediocrely positive reports that demand might not be as down as much in EU and US as what people initially thought. The mood definitely seems to be that, the first half of the year will see much lower prices, the second half higher ones. And we might be starting to see some of that on the futures. August prices, when converted to a farm gate equivalent, are around 3p higher than February's, for example, but only to the grand sum of 33 pence, I'm afraid. In Europe, butter is up for the third week running, with Dutch up €450 over that time. And the last time that happened, Adam had just found an apple, or was it a pepper, and said, fancy meeting you here, to Eve. Or so it seems, it's been a long time. The average price, according to the Dutch quotation, is now €4,750 but that's a bit higher than some of the current spot-traded prices I'm hearing about. Quarter three and quarter four prices are higher, but no deals have been done for over €5,000, I don't think, and that's where we need it to be at least. The skin powder has also gained across the board, so another positive, and German, French and Dutch prices are up for the third consecutive week. As well, so we could all raise a trendy green salad and pepper smoothie to that, except of course we can't. A cream in the UK has climbed a bit to 165 per kilo, so the slow and steady climb there continues. Uh, the futures have had a quiet week, butter barely moved in the EU or New Zealand, skim a bit up in Europe, but nothing to move the dials. The cheese looks relatively stable, but again, at a low base with nothing really picking up and a wide range of prices still uh, curd between three and a half thousand euros and four thousand two hundred euros. I've never known it as wide as that. So a clear indication there, I think, that no one has much of a clue. Finally, I mentioned insanely high cow prices in Englandshire last week, which has obviously really upset farmers in Carmarthenshire, who have done the only thing they could do in the circumstances, which is to bid prices up even higher. So well done, lady and gentleman farmers of Carmarthenshire. Pedigree heifers sold for as high as £4,000. So I'm sure... There'll be another market that will want to outshine Carmarthen in next week's round of bonkers bovine bidding. Just be sure to let us know what happens. So that's it. After this podcast, I'll be going to the supermarket to see all those empty shells for myself. Don't forget, folks, we will get through this crisis. We will be OK. The Vegans might not, though. I mean... What are they going to eat? But who cares about them, eh? Goodbye.
0: Thank you, Chris. Wales, uh, well, nice to see Kamal and Chip representing Wales and beating England. Probably the only, only time we will this week, I would imagine. <laughs> um, James, welcome to the podcast and thanks for coming on. How have you and your family and community been coping, first of all, with the impact of Cyclone
3: Gabrielle? Well, good, yeah, good morning or good evening, uh, Will, and uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. So to, to understand the impact for our family, our friends uh, and colleagues uh, from the cyclone, it's just important to, to remember the, the geographical nature of New Zealand. We're a long, skinny country, and uh, the cyclone really whipped across the, the top of the North Island and then down the east coast of the North Island. So some parts of New Zealand were totally unaffected, and uh, much of the South Island, uh, there were no impacts uh, whatsoever. In fact, the southern part of the South Island, uh, they almost want to declare a drought they're so dry. So that's the irony of, uh, of our country at the moment. Uh, the worst affected areas were uh, the Northland area, uh, top of the North Island, And there was significant um, flood damage there, which I'll come back to. Um, Auckland itself, we actually had two cyclones. Uh, Cyclone Hale, only a week or so earlier, uh, impacted uh, Auckland, our largest city, quite significantly. And then Cyclone Gabriel decided to track across the top of the North Island and down the East Coast, which is where the key damage occurred. So geographically, Uh, We're talking about some uh, hill country area, a large area of hill country in the Gisborne area on the east coast, uh, down through the horticultural areas of Gisborne, some beautiful fertile plains, and then finishing its damage off in the uh, uh, Hawke's Bay region, which is well known for its uh, um, wines, uh, particularly um, its Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, which I believe you you enjoy over there, <laughs> and uh, and it's the the king of apples for New Zealand, and that that's where the key damage did occur. So if we if we pick that apart a little bit more, Will, yeah, you know, where are the dairy areas impacted? We're talking about uh, the Northland area. Uh, we're talking about a small number of dairy farms in the East Coast, but by far and away the biggest damage has been to our hort industry in the Hawkes Bay. And the sheep and beef areas in the uh, northern part of the east coast, which I can expand on if you'd like. Yeah, I mean,
0: what what kind of impact on the ground? I mean, what's it what's it look like there on the ground? Is it as bad as you can imagine? And, and what's been the impact on the therefore on the wider supply
3: chain? It's it's possibly worse than you could imagine in the most affected areas. Uh, the the, uh, the photos coming through in the The impact on these orchards in particular is completely devastating. I've never seen anything like this uh, in my career. So, but if we come back to the hill country areas for a moment, think of uh, our North Island hill country as uh, it's rolling to steep hill country and tens of thousands of hectares. And you could be looking at slips and slumping in those hills of 20 to 30 percent losses of slips. And and what's happened from there, uh, the silt has uh, transferred down into the waterways, which have been deluged, and uh, thus um, wiping out a number of bridges along the way. So our our Gisborne Hill Country area, not only uh, have they got significant slipping, uh, many of them are, are totally unreachable at the moment. There is no roading whatsoever to help these people out. So for the past week, uh, their only access to supplies has actually been by helicopter and, and, and walking between farms. So it, it is hard to imagine. Then if we can move down to our flats and plains, these beautiful um, plains full of uh, uh, loamy soils, many of them have up to a, a metre of silt on top of them. And uh, I was just talking to one of our own staff only a few minutes ago. Uh, uh, recalling her experience and she was trapped in her house that the, the floodwaters rose so quickly they had to um, swim out through the window and uh, uh, sat on the, their roof for the next four hours in the darkness until they could be rescued by helicopter. Oh, okay. So a near-death experience and, and that's just one of mm. many, many examples of, of how devastating this has been. Mm. In terms of the impact for uh the horticulture sector itself uh we're still pulling the numbers together but we suspect there's at least 700 hectares of uh, beautiful apples which are are just totally gone they don't exist anymore
0: it's absolutely shocking i mean what 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 um let's move on to dairy what about the impact on on the dairy industry specifically
3: sure so The reason for spending a bit of time at the start uh, detailing the the geography of New Zealand, the the main areas of dairy production in New Zealand uh, are the Waikato, the Canterbury areas, uh, Taranaki and the the Southland areas, uh, and also Northland. So for for dairy, which was your question, there's certainly been some impact uh, in the Northland area and a small number of dairy farms impacted on our East Coast. While it's devastating for those farms that have been affected, uh, in reality, we're we're talking maybe 100 farms that will be forced to dry off production uh, at our stage of the season. We're at late lactation now. So it's one of those interesting things. Well, for the individual farmer affected, it's devastating. They're drying off, uh, they're losing production and a significant um, infrastructure rebuild going on. How, how does that translate
1: um, into sort of into cow numbers, James?
3: So uh, still pulling cow numbers together, Ben. But if we could think of maybe a hundred farms looking to to dry off, uh, I would say maximum uh, at uh, maybe two hundred cows each uh, uh, for these regions. So what's that? Twenty thousand cows. If my maths okay. is right. Um, out of our total population of what, four or five million cows.
2: James, I also heard that the bad weather, aside from the cyclones, before the cyclones, has also done a lot of damage to to dairy farms in that they've washed a lot of cow tracks away. Um, and the cows are suffering foot problems and stress because of infrastructure damage just from the pre-cyclone rains. Is that right?
3: Uh, Yeah, that's correct, Chris. So I was actually on farm uh, today and the diggers were out in force rebuilding their tracks and races uh, from exactly the issues you're describing. Uh, And so throughout the season, we've seen a higher degree of um, lameness and a higher degree of mastitis through the wet season as well. So, so those are some of the negative impacts which are being felt right across the North Island throughout our wet summer, and and that's more than just the cyclone itself, Chris. That's our, our general wet summer. Uh, we've also seen some impact of uh, lodging uh, of the maize crops and a few failures of maize crops or, or our summer feed crops as well. J-
0: James, is it too early to predict the likely rebuilding cost and timescale of of how long it will take? To put all this right, I mean, I guess you're talking years.
3: Uh, uh, we're talking decades, I would suggest, for some of these horticultural properties. Uh, you need to remove the silt, uh, then you've got to start a total rebuild and the trees need to regrow again. So for those farmers and orchardists, it's it's a decade-long recovery. Uh, for our hill country farms, uh, that's that, that's also in the decades, to be honest, and there's not much you can do. It's a slow recovery. For our dairy farmers, uh, the rebuild will be much quicker, to be fair, that the the impacts are possibly less severe, and there's a smaller number affected. So we're talking one to two years in many cases. Um, On the positive side, and we can uh, expand on this now or later, the wet uh, um, summer is resulting in, in much higher than average pasture growth rates for the summer, uh, good supplement reserves, and we'll probably have a, a good finish to our
1: season. mean I mean, it sounds like you're being super resilient um, despite everything. And yeah, I mean, goes without saying, all our thoughts are with all of you. Um, I mean, apart from apart, apart from the cyclone and the clear impact of that, uh, let's move on to uh, the dairy season generally. Mm-hmm. Um, can you just give us uh, your sort of overview um, from a production perspective?
3: Sure, Ben. So, if we look at the the dairy season in general across the country, so the North Island had a um, a very slow start to the season, and coming up to, to Christmas time, our North Island farms were well behind in, in seasonal production. Uh, our South Island farms were tracking along about average, uh, In the last couple of months. Uh, the, the interesting thing about these cyclones, as I mentioned, for our dairy strong areas, we've actually had uh, quite a good s- season uh, over the last month or two. So above average growth rates and uh, good supplement reserves. So I actually think the North Island of New Zealand is going to have a strong finish to the season. And most of the farms I'm, I'm seeing, we're saying we're going to milk right, right to the end of uh, lactation. So for us, that's uh, to the end of May. So I think we'll actually pick up, Ben, in our production and, and actually uh, we'll have a reasonable season.
1: Okay. And what about on-farm costs um, and, of, of course, inflation as well? Uh, how farm has been dealing with those? And, and what's the situation like now?
3: Well, that's a, that's a real challenge, on-farm inflation. And uh, like many parts of the world, I suspect you're not immune to this. Uh, so our, our numbers are uh, telling us on-farm inflation is around 16%. Uh, which will be more than twice the the um, national average of inflation, which is tracking around seven to eight percent. So, so what's driving that? Uh, we've seen a, a massive increase in uh, fertilizer costs. We've seen a, a continued increase in, in wage costs. We've seen uh, feed costs continue to rise, and of course, uh, our interest rates have uh, continued to track up as well. Uh, only yesterday, uh, our um, Reserve Bank decided to to lift our official cash rate by another half uh, percent, uh, 50 basis points. Uh, so that goes straight on the the um, bottom line for um, interest costs. So those big four are driving it, but but equally you've got uh, all costs creeping up. Machinery purchase costs, um, the cost of maintaining your machinery has gone up thanks to increased labour costs fuel's gone up uh so every single cost is, is um has tracked up and it, it's really starting to bite into our, our bottom line yeah.
1: edward let's bring you in here um you're, you're the numbers man and obviously I mean, we've got a similar situation uh, in the uk but just some of your thoughts on um and reflections i suppose on, on the situation in new zealand
4: yes thanks ben um well i i guess you know we we in some way, we face similar situations on, on uh, rising costs. I, I guess probably with, a, with higher feed rates over here, we've seen a bigger impact of, of feed. Probably our on-farm inflation has been um, probably closer to forty percent when you look at the feed cost um, uh, element of, of it. Um, you know, if we've seen costs you know only sort of twelve eighteen months go from sort of uh, thirty thirty-two p up to around forty-four p. Pencile now, so so we've seen some you know very sh- strong on farm inflation. Maybe the the rate of that inflation has definitely slowed now, um, and obviously feed costs have, have, have uh, levelled off from their from their peak, and fertiliser is, is easing. So we're probably now in a, in, a, in a sort of a, a relatively flat position, um, particularly when you take um, production gain into a, into effect. You know we are seeing some rises in production now, so that's diluting some of those um, costs a little bit. So that's why we're we're forecasting that you know costs are, um, albeit maintaining at a high level, you know easing a little bit, um, but I, I think we uh, you know as as kite we, we um, uh, touch base with, with James every uh, every month or two um, to to sort of relay information and, and sort of share best share uh, sort of um, uh, experiences from from the opposite ends of the uh, ends of the globe um and there's a lot of similarities you know a lot of similarities around you know, like you say with labor supply and, and 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 general inflation but then as we've already heard there's there's some big differences as well in terms of the uh extremes that we can um we can they, they can experience and i think often we think that, that we often um uh say well, well you know new zealand, new zealand can be very similar to uk and, and you know similar systems grass growth etc and I, and I know they can still grow a lot of grass but you can definitely also hear that the the levels of, um, of of variance that they can get are, are, are much bigger as as well. So, um, uh, and I guess there's, there's still obviously the big difference in terms of the marketplace. Whereas the UK was heavily still supplying into a liquid market and, um, and markets in the EU, whereas James, you, you know, you're mainly sort of focused on the um, the you know the Asian and uh, Oceania markets, wouldn't you?
3: Well, look, very much so, Edward, uh, you know, China is our, our number one export destination and, as a reminder, 90% of New Zealand's uh, milk production is exported, so very export-focused. I, I was just reflecting on your comments about uh, uh, diluting those cost increases through extra production and I would say that's uh, a real contrast to what we're seeing. Uh, we we are becoming more and more restricted in the ability to increase production through environmental constraints, but but equally uh, in many cases it's becoming more cost effective to just to uh, to review uh, the number of cows we're running and maybe the level of feed inputs and maybe just ease back in our intensity a little bit. And most of the farms I've been on in the last week would be looking to ease back in cow numbers. Interestingly. Rather than increase them, just to sort of keep a handle on costs. Mm. Uh,
4: well, I, I, I think James. Actually, we, we do see some similar situations in in, in the UK now. Obviously, with this, we're, we're um. I know we'll talk about some sort of environmental um issues, but uh, we know we're seeing you know pr- production at the moment is slightly higher in the UK than it was um uh 12 months ago, which which has an effect on 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 as a on a country level of. of Pooling costs and, and reducing costs um, uh, slightly, but we're not seeing the growth in in production uh, gain that we would have done uh, five, six, seven years ago. Um, and, I, and I think that's because there are there are more constraints. Um, but there, yeah, again, it all comes back to farmers taking a, a proper look at the situation and, and you know finding, trying to find where the opportunities are to benefit their own individual business, and
0: that Yeah, which brings us quite nicely on to labour and the workforce as well, Um, something that we discuss a lot uh, in farming in the UK at the moment throughout every sector. How easy or difficult are farmers finding it to recruit and retain good people in New Zealand, James? Have things got harder or or more easy in that regard?
3: Well, look, I would say labour is the number one challenge and it has been for the last couple of years. You know, we we often talk about you know compliance issues and and how that's uh, giving farmers grief. But I think the reality is, you can you can manage that if you've got good staff. And I think the the genesis of our labour problems did start uh, through COVID when uh, government policy uh, put the the hold on immigration and it constrained our labour market significantly. And then uh, all of a sudden, the, the primary sector was competing against everybody else for, for labour. And and we still are. And so, uh, ag first, we do a, a lot of on-farm recruitment as part of our business. And this would be the most challenging year we've ever had to find good staff. And uh, that would be the, the key reason why a farmer decides to exit, is a lack of good managers or good staff to run their property, which is a really sad uh, situation for the industry. Yeah. How, how are we managing that is the next part of your question. Uh, look, in some ways I take a, a, a selfish view and, you know, as an individual or a firm, you're not going to solve the industry's problems. So what can you do as an individual to solve the problems for you or your clients in terms of making your place the best place you can possibly work at and, and keep those staff? And, and I will always reflect on the comment that, you uh, the cost of retaining someone is far, far cheaper than the cost of uh, attracting someone new. So always keep that in mind. And, and the other, or the final point, Will, is, is really about wearable technology. Uh, we are seeing a significant increase in that and uh, the ability to, uh, I suppose, substitute or get away with a, a quality of labour that maybe isn't quite as good as you might like, but you've got the technology, keeping an eye on animal health, or moving your animals or, or reproductive issues.
0: Mm. Edward, um, similar situation in the UK.
4: Well, I think that, that, that describes exactly where we're, where, where, we're, where we're totally aligned, I think, yeah, um, between yeah. uh, New Zealand and and, and the UK. Um, I think all the description there in terms of change in immigration policy and all those sort of things have, have, have been uh, directly reflected uh, here. Um, you know, since Brexit, you know, it's, we've, We've seen that constriction of supply and, and also the real competition between you know agriculture now is directly competing with it with a with a tight labor market across the across the economy um and that's and that's one of the things which is is leading to significant inflation in in um in wage rates and i know that you know in terms of actions you know uh becky normally of this parish is um you know would be you know on top of all those areas in terms of how we can try and um Uh, you know retain staff and and find good staff for for farms but just one thing I will say is I think this whole resilience piece around labour is is a key reason why some farms take the decision to to leave because it it isn't just economics or environment you know labour is the thing that does grind people down every day if it isn't if it isn't working right Um, but it's another reason why you know I've talked previously about secure milk price etc and having making sure there is a a margin in place for to farms to properly invest, um, you know, and retain, um, you know, good staff, because that is a key way to having a secure milk supply, um, both in the UK and um, and, and wider.
3: Mm. Yeah. So, okay. so, Edward, you might want to disclose your ears for a moment, but I had the pleasure of hosting one of Kite's smart new graduates on, on a farm a couple of days ago. And to, to solve our recruitment problems, so I've just taken away her passport, so she's going to become a New <laughs> No, no, you
4: can give it back, James. We're we're we're, we're having that one. <laughs> yeah,
3: you okay. you keep thinking that it would.
4: No, no, no. You, you got to let it go, James. You got to let it go. <laughs>
0: um, okay, with, with, with everything we've discussed so far, James, um, how would you describe farmer sentiment and confidence levels? in New Zealand at the moment?
3: Oh, look, overall, uh, well, there's some interesting, um, quite large uh, surveys done by the banks and so forth. And the, the sentiment is is largely negative, significantly negative. And this is across dairy, uh, sheep and beef, and horticulture. And so what's driving that negativity? Uh, really, it, it is around uh, two things, in my opinion, or three things. Uh, in some of our sectors, uh, we are seeing a softening in commodity prices. Uh, secondly, we've got this continued uh, on-farm inflation and, and rise in interest rates. And thirdly, uh, the the uncertainty around compliance costs, I believe. Uh, you know, often when uh, new rules come in, that they may not be as bad as people actually realise, but it's the uncertainty of what it means, what are the timeframes, how is it going to impact on my business? So when we put all that together, along with these challenges with labour, uh, we, we've got a negative sentiment at the moment. So it's um, it's a bit of a, a sad situation, Will, because I do look at the industry and all uh, well, the industries and the, for a bright young person, there's a massive wealth of opportunities out there that they, they can grasp. And sometimes I, I think we've just got to be careful that we don't get too negative to put off the next generation. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: we're certainly trying our hardest on the Kite podcast for that. We need to get more, key, more New Zealand listeners. <laughs> uh, but talking of compliance costs, um, let's move on to a sort of environment and politics sections. Um, so, it dubbed the burp tax, the New Zealand government announced last year their intention to, in essence, tax cow numbers with methane emissions in mind. Um, can you just give us an update on that um, and how how that's going down with farmers?
3: Well that was the real topic for 2022 being in terms of uh, uh, the, the fat tax, as you call it, um, and, and what that means for uh, New Zealand's the New Zealand primary industry. So as a quick recap, uh, we, we've been debating this for quite some time. Uh, the industry uh, submitted their own uh, solution called Hiwaka Iikioa to the government late last year. The government had a look at this industry proposal. Uh, then they put out a, a government, um, their, their policy as a draft, uh, which did not go down well at all. Uh, but in fairness to the government, that they, they, they listened, uh, and then they came back with a revised uh, policy or proposal uh, just before Christmas. I think it was the 22nd of December, so that's ironic when everyone's going away for Christmas. Uh, but since then, to be fair, it's, it's gone quiet. Uh, so there's a lot of behind-the-scenes work going on, uh, but we're yet to see uh, the final locking down of, of what these rules will look like and, um, and true implementation of this. Yeah, I mean, with I everything else that's what,
1: going on at the moment, is, is there likely to be any delay?
3: Quite possibly. I, I think also uh, the government may be reading the, the mood in the room, and we yeah. have elections later on this year. Yeah. And you, I think you may have picked up we've got a new uh, leader. And uh, is this a chance just to rethink what's going on? Uh, I don't for a minute think uh, we're going to see a, a total reversal uh, of these policies. I think the, uh, the livestock industry is going to have to account and pay for its emissions. It's just how and what is going to be the challenge. And we yet to see anything locked down in concrete on that.
1: Can we actually just jump on to the the Chris Hipkins, um, I suppose, situation now in terms of he's the new prime minister. How is he going down with farmers and and what might his agenda be in terms of shaping policy direction?
3: So it's been a really interesting uh, start to the year politically. And so Chris Hipkins, our our new prime minister, has come in uh, with almost a clean sweep. And it was a chance for the Labour government to have a, a good, hard think over Christmas and, uh, almost uh, after the first few days, the announcement was we're going to ditch a few of the, uh, I dare say, uh, more unpopular policies and, and remove that baggage, uh, in my mind, setting themselves up for, for the election at, later on in the year. So, um, so far, been really interesting. And, uh, if you'd asked me this question in December, I would have said the, uh, the opposition, the national government, w- would easily roll into um, into power in 2023. Now I would say it's uh, it's a 50 54 call. There's there's no way to pick it at okay. all. So, so um, how's it gone down with farmers? Uh, not too bad, to be fair. Um, however, farmers do have long uh, memories, and uh, I suspect it, it may not change their voting preference. But uh, for, for the wider population, uh, this is game on. Hmm. Sorry, Jacinda wasn't as popular with, uh, with with farmers? No, no, that's a fair comment, Edward. And by the end of 22, the mood had certainly changed and, and Jacinda Ardern was, was not popular with farmers, to be fair. That depends on what
2: scale you're on. I mean, if you're on the Teresa Coffee scale, you know, that <laughs> is, that is massively off the scale of unpopularity. Um, and I think she's probably a little bit more or was a little bit more popular than Teresa Coffey's going to be after the NFU conference. I
4: maybe she, it's, be it should it's a log scale there, Chris. So, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Teresa's at the top end of that one. And as for ability, remember, we've got we've got
2: trust and you're never going to outgun <laughs> trust for incompetence.
3: <laughs> uh, I completely Is side up. you here, Chris.
2: Yeah, so turning back to the
1: UK, um, in August last year, the UK government launched a consultation with the UK industry, scientific community, and the wider public on reducing livestock methane production. Um, Edward, how likely do you think it is that we'll see calls in the UK um, for some sort of methane tax on numbers um, or something similar?
4: Um, Well, I think there's there's obviously some... Some key differences in terms of the the hierarchy of these things. Um, uh, methane isn't important, obviously. It is, uh, and and greenhouse gases from farming is you know is important, but it's not at probably the same proportional level of the, the total country um, carbon footprint as, as it would be in in, in New Zealand. Um, I think uh, the the consultation last year was a, was looking around sort of you know ways of inhibiting um, you know methane production um, with, with feed products, etc. And I think there's obviously the government, uh, you know, maybe moving you know, in that direction. But I think probably based on our slightly sort of um, uh, jovial discussion a few minutes ago, I, I think the current government probably is, is in a, a, a mess over it and, and with, with general policy um, overall. So I, I don't think I think it's unlikely we're going to see anything major on this in the, in the near future, particularly because I don't think they want to do anything that's going to increase or even look to increase feed, uh, food costs. Um, and I suspect, you know, even like you've just said in New, in New Zealand, I think that some of the events of the last 12 months have probably changed priority levels a little bit around um, food security and, and some of that. And I think there's perhaps a little bit better discussion now around some of these issues and, than there, were, there was 18 months ago, which is, which is positive. Um, I know that uh, Keir Starmer's gone down pretty well with the, uh, the NFU conference this week, um, particularly talking about sort of a scientific approach to TB, et cetera. You know i hope that they take you know if, if if they are to be the next government i hope they take a similar you know, properly a proper scientific approach to you know some of these issues um and and i think that's important for for the industry to make sure and i think we are but um we continue to engage with them because potentially if they are going to be the new government then um you know they will uh, I'm, I'm sure have ambitious targets etc and it's important to, that they get the right scientific information now before they um come into government um so i I
1: do think that's really important and just sticking with climate james um with the situation more generally um in terms of how farmers and policymakers are shaping their own futures is there is there more tree planting happening for example or or engagement with selling and storing carbon
3: credits another really interesting topic ben so uh, carbon and planting of trees has been a a vexed and, and heated issue in new zealand for the last two or three years. Uh, more so on, on hill country land, which is normally sheep and bee. And to give you a, a perspective, um, forestry planting uh, to capture carbon and, and sell the rights for the carbon have uh, doubled or even tripled the, the prices of these sheep and bee farms in the last few years. Wow. So if you're selling, that that's great. But if you're someone looking to buy a farm, um, that, that's created some real challenges there. And we're seeing a lot of, uh, some quite good uh, rolling um, country uh, go into pine trees uh, where it, could, uh, it was beautiful, uh, either dairy land or sheep and beef land. And so that's caused a heap of emotion, and, uh, and then that's come to a real hit in the last two weeks, because what's happened with the cyclone, we've got the slash and debris from uh, harvesting of pine trees. It's built up and then it's come down in a, a massive torrent through these streams. And that's what's wiped out many of these bridges and stock banks. And when you can picture a, a pristine beach uh, literally covered in, in um, a slash and logs and stumps, it's pretty hard to take. And, and when it's destroyed your road. So now we've got a, actually an inquiry was announced today by the government to say what's going on here. Is there a better solution? And uh, so we've got this uh, juxtaposition, I suppose, of, you know, are trees um, good for the environment, uh, which they may be, but at what level and where do they go? So uh, we've got some real challenges to work through that. And then I'd finally finish being on on the word adaptation. So how do we adapt um, our farms, our, our landscapes for climate change? Uh, putting aside the issue of warming and and taxes and so forth, how are we adapting our farms to cope with these climate variations going forward?
0: Okay. Um, Let's just touch on uh, everyone's favourite subject in Britain, uh, trade deals. Um, James, the the New Zealand-UK trade deal, which was agreed back in October 2021, Uh, At the time, both the NFU and the Labour Party in the UK vocalised their concerns, but the government um, then under Boris Johnson, seems like a long time ago now, suggested it would be mutually beneficial. How has it been seen from a New Zealand perspective?
3: Well, I I smiled when I saw that question, Will, because if I asked the New Zealand dairy farmer, you know, how's this UK trade impact uh, or trade deal impacted them? They would be saying what trade deal? <laughs> <Do> you... <laughs> it, it, to, be, to be blunt, it's it's not even on their radar. Um, you know, they're not thinking about it. Um, I doubt that 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 they're even concerned about it. It will have um, benefits for our apple growers, mm-hmm. which is slightly ironic. seeing seems We've got a, some challenges with our orchards yeah. at the moment and our wineries but uh for the dairy farmers over here it, it's simply not a, a topic of, of conversation at all hmm. bit
0: different over here isn't it chris <laughs> well it is for beef and sheep but dairy uh
2: james is right you know it's not an issue hmm. new zealand's primary product currently is whole milk powder um and we don't make whole milk powder over here let alone import very much and just to give you some stats, uh, I think Fonterra are playing with butter imports um, just to scope it out. But to give you some figures, in March, 100 tonnes came over and 25 tonnes came over in July, August and October. So it's not moving the needle. And I can't see it moving the needle going forward either when, when you've got other markets much closer and when your big factories are geared up for whole milk powder.
0: Okay. Um, let's start to wrap this up in the short term, James, how optimistic are you for New Zealand dairy for the next season?
3: Yeah, well, I suppose I'm'm I'm the eternal optimist. Uh, so look, but I do see uh, us finishing with a strong uh, finish to to this current season and uh, we're going to set farms up well generally. Uh, the exception, of course, of those farms, those dairy farms that have been uh, impacted by the cyclone. And that, that's a totally different story. And I genuinely feel for them. Uh, but as a proportion of our industry, it, it is small. Um, as I say, not wanting to, to um, undermine their impacts. But going forward for next season, uh We're seeing similar signals as you are. What's the payout going to look like for us for next season? And our early indications are some real cautiousness about what that looks like for for the next season. And so then uh, uh, as as a response and also to those rising costs, we are seeing a a moderation of uh, our production systems, I would have to say. Uh, So cautiously optimistic would be my summary. Okay.
2: Yeah, but James, the projected milk prices that are coming out from the banks and Fonterra aren't looking that great. Mid thirty pence is here. You know, it doesn't look as if they're going to pay the costs if they're up sixteen percent. Would you agree
3: with that? So one one of our challenges, Chris, is is simply that the time lag uh, for us to see that through payments schedule come through. So when we start our production season in June 23, we're not seeing the the final payment come through for our, from our processes until uh, October 24, so an 18-month time lag. So we've got to take a medium-term approach into what we think is going to, to happen for that particular season. So as an example, uh, for next season, uh, I would suggest most farmers will be budgeting on maybe a $9 milk price. Um, and if it's higher than that, well, great. But uh, you need to make it work at, at probably an $8 milk price even and, and budget conservatively.
2: Yeah, that $8 will be mid-30s, I think, mm. in, in our money. Mm. Okay. Yeah,
3: so so I think we're on the same page. Uh, but as I say, we just have to take that medium-term approach um, and typically what the farmer will do here is only spend absolutely what they have to in the first half of the season and discretionary spend comes in the second half of the season.
0: Okay, that's all we have time for today, but all our very best wishes to anyone listening in New Zealand uh, for a speedy recovery, thinking of you all, and a very big thank you to our guests today, James Allen, Edward Lott and Chris Walkland.
1: Yes, thank you very much for listening wherever you are. Um, Please see the show notes for more information, including our podcast disclaimer. We'll be back on the usual Friday next week when we'll be speaking to the winner of the
0: 2022 NMR-RABDF Gold Cup. But for now, it's goodbye from all of us here.